We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And, Jack, the Nets are coming off a nice win against the Sixers, 122-109. How are we feeling? F*** Dwight Howard. F*** Ben Simmons. F*** Joel Embiid. F*** Sixers. Nets world, baby. Nets world. A, a great win tonight. Obviously, no Kevin Durant, no Kyrie Irving, no Tyler Johnson. And we saw... The classic Nets, the bubble Nets step up. Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, Jared Allen all played great. We're going to jump into that. As always, you can find us on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Jack, another strong start for the Nets. Yeah, an incredibly strong start. You know, 28 to 26, and at the half, 65 to 51, really extended that lead in the second quarter. There was just good little mini runs. Joe Harris himself kept the Nets in in the second quarter with a 10-2 run individually. It really was, you know, the second unit couldn't get anything going initially. But thank God for Joe Harris and that glorious headband and the tie-dye jersey. Before we dig into the game, Nick, I wanted to touch on some, like, non-game-centric stuff. There's the tie-dye jerseys. There's uh, Kyrie Irving being out. Let's touch on the tie-dye jerseys, the old-school uh, jersey ones. We had Derek Coleman, uh, Nets legend, holding down Nets Twitter as well. They look so nice, man. And then I should have put on the shorts before the game. <laughs> we would have won by, like, 30 like we did against the Jazz. Yeah, I mean, it is a great combination. The, the court and the jerseys together, it just hits. And I love the old school logo. I just love retro logos. They look so cool. And I, it's cool for like the change up of the Nets having some brightness in their jerseys. We're so used to the black and the white. And not to say that it's boring because I think it's cool and sleek, but it's nice to have some of that color pop once in a while. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. And I don't need another jersey or any more Nets merch, but I might have to get something. Yeah, I bought the shorts and they were quite pricey. I've got, I've got way too much Nets gear. I, I showed the other day on Twitter that I got a... A KD jersey. I, I put it out. I was wearing it yesterday when I, I went a little bit of a road trip. I got the Kyrie Basquiat jersey as well. Man, there's just too much good Nets. I could have an entire wardrobe of Nets stuff, and I wouldn't be unhappy. But, yeah, it looks absolutely awesome. And they were just feeling the vibes, man. They, they just look good in the warm-ups as well. The warm-ups look sick. Yeah, it, it, was a, it was a great night, and just, you could just feel the, the, the Brooklyn Nets old-school energy out there. 
Now, Nick, Kyrie Irving's absence was due to personal matters. We saw a lot of BS on the timeline. We're not going to address any of that. All we and all I want to say is that, Kyrie Irving, take all the time you need, my dude. Come back whenever. You know, at the end of the day, like we said on the last podcast, it's just a basketball game. Yeah. There are bigger things going on in the world. Whatever he's taking the game off for, whatever personal matters, and the source that I do believe is Joe Varden of The Athletic. He said a source close to Kyrie said he's okay, but didn't know when he would turn. Doesn't matter when he returns, as long as he's fit, healthy, mentally, physically, spiritually, all the rest. Exactly. It's been an extremely tough year for everybody, and we're not going to speculate on why he's not playing. It's personal reasons. It's his personal life. Yep. Who cares? You know what I mean? Exactly. It's that everyone's entitled to a day off. You work your job. You call your boss, and you say you're taking off. They don't necessarily ask you why. You're using a sick day or whatever type of time off you have. Absolutely. And look, the Nets didn't need it tonight, Nick. As you said, that first and second quarter, what were your big takeaways from the first half other than Joe Harris just being Joey? Is he now winning sixth man of the year, Nick? Like, it was Harris first, but now he's going to have to versus his own teammate to, to, to win that award. Yeah, I mean, I really love Joe Harris off the bench because I think, like we talked about on the last show, it allows us to utilize him more. Where you're not necessarily running sets for him with KD and Kyrie on the floor, and, and to an extent you have to force it. And then he also doesn't have to over-defend. Like, when he's in the starting lineup, he has to defend threes and fours, and he's just not able to do that. He's just not necessarily the biggest guy. He's a guard, and he's able to play guard or play against lesser small forwards in the second unit, and he's been awesome, and his confidence is soaring, and we talked about it a lot with Kevin Durant encouraging him to take some of those contested shots, and we saw that tonight. And to touch on your other point, Jack, I thought the starting lineup did a great job in terms of setting the tone for the game, playing defense, playing tough, and playing with some physicality, especially against a big Sixers team. It was the the second game in a row against two of the better, two of probably the toughest matchups on paper that the Brooklyn Nets would have this season. And it's not that the Utah Jazz or the Philadelphia 76ers had any injuries, unlike the Brooklyn Nets, who have two the best player out. Now they're two best players out heading into this matchup. And yes, the 76ers are coming off a back to back, but that ain't an excuse. You're traveling down the road; it's like a bus ride to get to freaking you know Barclay Center, and it's not that hard, bloody hard. Come on, please. But yeah, I thought the tone was set early defensively. You're know, toying. Prince, Jeff Green, Bruce Brown, these dudes. And I mean, how many good things can we say about Jared Allen? You know, yeah. I've, I've got my Joe Harris OnlyFans content that will be dropping very, very soon, especially after this game. Premium content, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to want to subscribe to that. But the Jared Allen side OnlyFans, man, that is only going to increase in subscribers if he keeps playing like this. Goddamn, these Nets, Nick. These goddamn Nets. Jared Allen has been awesome, and this was a major step for his progress as being one of the better centers in the NBA. He matched up with Joel Embiid, and he held his own. You know what I mean? It was on multiple occasions, rebounding, holding him in the post. I also love the game plan from the Nets. Something that Kenny Atkinson didn't do a ton was double-team players. Yeah. The Nets were hitting him with early double teams, not letting him get comfortable, and that came to bite him in the end of the game. You know what I mean? He started to miss some shots that he typically hits. Obviously, he's still going to make some stuff, but... Jared Allen deserves a ton of credit for his performance against Joel Embiid and also the rest of the Sixers. Ben Simmons was trying to punk him the entire game, and he got the better of him too. Yeah, look, he, an elephant never forgets is the saying, Nick. Neither does Jared Allen, and neither do Nets fans. We remember that punk-ass shit that they were laughing about, giving the tech away, literally like elbowing him in the face yep. like the goddamn punk that he is, Joel Embiid. We don't forget that. And that video is going all over the timeline now. And if Joel Embiid wants to tag me on Instagram, at me, my dude, at the JMNJBT. I don't even have Instagram. But, you know, <laughs> if you want to tag me on Twitter, my dude, you know where I am, Melbourne, Australia. But it was – this is the growth and maturation of, of, of a guy who is just – you know what? I'm Jared Allen, you know. And we saw a, a little infograph, and I had to note it down as well, Nick. The, the weight, weight watch with Jared Allen – 234 pounds in his rookie seasons, 237 in his sophomore season, 243 uh, in his third season, and currently at 248 pounds. He's a big boy, the 6'11", Jared Allen. Don't know how much of that's in the hair. Maybe he's drawing an extra five pounds worth of hair, but, man, he's he's It's all muscle, to be honest. It is. He's he's not any slower. Like, he's so quick out there. You know what I mean? In comparison to the other bigs, like... Uh, you just have to feel really good about his growth and his physicality. And I thought, like, yeah, Joel Embiid's still going to body him because he's going to body almost every single player in the NBA, maybe except Jeff Green, who's just amazing. I don't know how he was able to hold him. <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, but really, Jared Allen, like, I thought he did a better job than in the past where Joel Embiid was literally just moving him with ease. Like, he made Joel Embiid work, and he put him in difficult positions a few times. And credit to him in working on that lower body strength and that core strength. 
Yeah, no, I mean, forced five turnovers from him. Some of that was Jared Allen's quality, verticality, and, and strength. Some of that was on, like, you know, some nice uh, doubles and steals from, like, TLC and stuff. There was just great defensive awareness, a great defensive game plan from Steve Nash and the staff. And, you know, we give, we've... We give credit where credit's due. Uh, it was a great game plan from Steve Nash in terms of his rotations, how to make Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons uncomfortable, and you know force them to make tough shots. And you know whether it's uh, taking a three ball at Ben Simmons tonight, he's second for the season. <laughs> Don't worry, Sixers fans, he's fifty percent on the year, guys. He's one or two. But in saying that, I just thought that they made the game tougher for the Philadelphia 76ers. Clearly, they're going to be lethargic coming off a back-to-back. The Brooklyn Nets obviously had a game just a couple of days ago themselves, but they were ready, and they were going, you know what, we're going to set the tone early. And a quote that's probably going to stick out and resonate for many, many games, Nick, especially this little mini-stretch here, is Jeff Green after the Washington Wizards' loss about you know setting the tone defensively and letting our defense dictate our offense. When you have, you look at this starting five, and it's the same starting five that we saw, or a similar starting five we saw the other day, replacing you know, Kyrie with Karras. Jeff Green, Torian Prince, Jared Allen, Karras LeVert, Bruce Brown. It's not like there's a Ben Simmons or a Joel Embiid or an Anthony Davis or a Damian Lillard there. Those are just really good. And the four of the five are just solid dudes. They're just making quality defensive plays. There's size about them. There's girthiness about them. There's hustle about them. And Bruce Brown, he got that steal that he wanted today. But I just thought that there was some great physicality. And against a team in the Philadelphia 76ers that has in the past punked the Brooklyn Nets in certain occasions. Yeah, no, I thought Jeff Green was great. He just was such a huge help in terms of rotating and giving some extra protection when Jared Allen was out on Joel Embiid or got switched off. Jeff Green did not turn down a switch on Joel Embiid. Like, he was more than ready. He forced him, Joel Embiid to take some jump shots. So, like, that's just a win. I thought the Nets also with their game plan, they knew Seth Curry was going to be out, and they played great. You know what I mean? That was the guy that provides some that off-ball energy. They were just like, these guys are going to really try to push everything to the paint, and we're going to shut that down. We know Ben Simmons can't shoot, and they did a great job of playing off Ben Simmons and using that defensive player to help either on Joel Embiid or help with the rotations. I really liked what they did, and it gives me confidence for what their defense can be like in the future and in the playoffs because these are the type of adjustments when you play these elite players like a Joel Embiid that you need to have a game plan to stop or disrupt them. Yeah, I mean, for me, I want one of Green or Prince to stay in that starting lineup, or at least one or two of Green, Prince, or Brown. You know, we know Karis will probably go to the bench, but in saying that, you know, you, you, it, it doesn't necessarily change because it seems like there was just different experimentation, different lineups out there. And I mean, you're forced to when you have like a, a heapy rotation unhealthy. You know, yep. Tyler Johnson obviously was also out due to health and safety protocol. Hopefully him, um, his friends and family are healthy, like we alluded to Kyrie Irving uh, and Kevin Durant earlier. So yeah, the Nets are forced to go deep into the rotation and it was basically everyone but Rody. And Rudy was yeah. healthy after recovering from an ankle sprain. And, you know, he played, you know, a minor amount of junk Minute time. And 27 seconds. 27 seconds. But, yeah, I just thought that they continue to set the tone. And, and going against Memphis in a couple of days, you know, a team that we lost to in a, in a pretty poor showing with a similar sort of rotation and depth that we currently have with obviously Kyrie and KD sitting at the, that, that game as well. I think that they're ready to atone themselves for the performance that they gave there. And again, it starts defensively. Steve Nash did a really good job managing the minutes for the back-to-back. I mean, you you look at it. Karis Levert, 32. You know, it's not necessarily totally in play. That's something that he would play with Kenny Atkinson quite regularly. Jeff Green, 29. Torian Prince, 22. He didn't play much time uh, in the latter points of the game, but I thought he had a really good performance. We'll get into that in a little bit. You know, Jared Allen, 28. We saw DeAndre Jordan get 18 because... You know, there, it wasn't doing as much damage as it was before. And it, it, there was still enough of a, of a buffer in terms of like, you know, it was like always around 10 to 18. Yep. And, and it got a little bit closer, then it inflated a little bit more. And the Nets were mature and composed enough to keep them at bay. And I thought that that was, look, they got outscored in... Yeah, it's growth. And they got outscored in one quarter today, the third quarter, 33 to 29. That was it. And that was, a, I think it was like a late 8-0 run um, that really sort of made it look a little bit better and, and, and gave the Philadelphia 76ers a little bit of a sniff. But great team performance all around from the coaching staff down, I thought, Nick. Yeah, 100%, Jack. I thought Steve Nash is really starting to have a coaching impact these last two games. Obviously, it's a little bit easier when you're missing your best players. You don't want to necessarily touch the game when they're in there. But I think it's a little easier for him to manage some of the guys. And there was a out-of-the-timeout play in the fourth quarter, which ended up in, a, I want to say, a Joe Harris three. 
or something along those lines. And it was just beautiful. And it was just something we haven't necessarily seen consistently. Like we saw more steps tonight and we're starting to see the team get more comfortable. Steve Nash getting more comfortable. And just a quick note on Torian Prince, because we talked about the starting lineup setting the tone. I thought he played a big role too in helping set the tone for the starting lineup with defense and getting active in transition. What did you, I mean, you said you'll allude to us for those that don't follow your Twitter at OTG Nick, what your favorite Toy and Prince play was. And um, I'll start giving you some of that Kool Aid that I've been drinking, my guy. Yeah, no, Torian Prince, obviously, I think the Sixers had just got an offensive rebound. They were trying to throw the ball to the top of the key. It was a bad pass, overthrown. Torian Prince jumped up with Ben Simmons, got the ball, kicked off the break. And then on the break, he was able to still, I guess, like, keep slow the, down. Yeah decelerate, keep the defender's attention on him and slip a pass to Karis LeVert for a layup. And we've seen Torian Prince a hundred times drive to the rim and try to force a fast break instead of making the pass to the other guy. This is one of his best fast breaks as a net in terms of running the show. Absolutely. I thought that in general, you know, his play today, you know, plus 18, you know, second in the team in terms of plus minors. And again, it's a stat that you can look at or whatever, but to us, it, it, it makes sense. And it's reflective of the game that he actually did play, you know, other than the Karis Avert, you know, with plus 23. I just thought that his shot selection, his aggression on both ends of the floor, I think that him and Jeff Green just do something and, and just provide yep. something that they have athleticism, they have strength, they have toughness about them. You know, it's like I said, when KD comes back, I want one of them to be out there within the starting lineup. And it's not to say that Joe Harris doesn't deserve to be a starter, but at the end of the day, if you still give him 20, 30 minutes in, and coming off the bench, it doesn't necessarily matter. I, I like Jeff Green and Toyin Prince. And I think both of them, whether one of them is, a, preferably probably Jeff Green for my liking, 29 minutes for him tonight, Nick. That would probably be the one of the few times in, in maybe recent years that he's played 25 minutes plus. Yeah, I mean, he, he did get some minutes with the Rockets, but with us, I didn't really anticipate him getting this much. I thought it was interesting, too, because the Nets were so shorthanded, he ended up having to stay in the game for the, the garbage minutes. But again, I thought he was crucial to what they're trying to do. He's just a steadying force. And, you know, Jeff Green still got a little bag. You know, occasionally he'll pull some stuff out, scoring a couple guys, hit some tough shots. He's still a talented guy. He's just getting up there in age, and he obviously can't do it consistently. But like you said, with Torian Prince, too, they have some nice chemistry, some nice cohesion defensively, gives the Nets some nice versatility. I would be happy to see one of those two guys. I wouldn't even mind if Steve Nash did it kind of based off matchup. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, I think that you know, Torian Prince has a little bit more quickness about him, but Jeff Green has a bit more savvy and experience about him. And yeah, there's just some like turnaround mid-range jumpers that he's hitting. He's yep. shooting it over guys. He's driving. He's showing strength. Um, great veteran, veteran minimum signing and, and one of the best in the league for that. And the Nets have a couple of the dudes like that on the roster with TLC as well, who I thought provided, you know, some spark and a little bit of, a little bit of uh, aggression. It seems to me... That in years past, it's just like, oh, the Nets need enforcer. The Nets need some toughness. Whereas we have the guys on the roster right now that aren't going to take that anymore. It's just like, who would have thought the TLC would be getting text? Who would have thought that Jared Allen would be Throwing getting Throwing the text? ball off Dwight Howard. I, I love that. that shit. Get the hell out of here, Dwight Howard, you freaking clown. He's getting more fouls than DeAndre Jordan is in a per-minute basis. What are you talking about? Um, but yeah, what? A, seriously, Dwight Howard, absolute clown. It's, it, it reminded me of what he was doing against Nikola Jokic. Yep. What he's doing against Jared Allen. And that's saying something that Jared Allen is forcing this clown like behavior from Dwight Howard. And he could get like that. And look, he still had, what, like 15 boards or whatever. I'm not looking at the. And the it six. helped kick off the run. Like it worked. It just. It's just annoying. Like that's just what he's there to do. And that's his job. It's just like the most annoying type of basketball. Yeah. And, and I think that. There was a play earlier that where it was just like, all right, Dwight's going to be this annoying little bastard that, that, he, that he is. And he, like, hacked Jared Allen on the free throw. And you could tell Jared normally would just be like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, walk back to my spot. Let's have some pesto pasta. But he's just like, Ugh! all right, all right, I'll take these free throws. Get my Alfredo going, my dude. And, man, I'm, I'm loving this. I'm loving the, the aggression and mentality of this team. This is a champ. This is a championship level mentality. I'm not saying the Nets are a championship team, but everyone's talking up the Sixers, six and one, number one team in the East, and they can't even beat the Brooklyn Nets without their two best superstars. Please. I thought for the Sixers side, just to touch on them real quick, it was just a very lackadaisical effort. And yeah. I, some of it's maybe the back to back, but some of it's just like the same issues that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons have had in the past. 
not playing well on the road, and not necessarily looking very conditioned. I didn't think Joel Embiid looked like out there playing full effort 100% for more than a couple minute span in the game. Like he just was not impactful, and he was essentially playing lazy. Maybe some credit goes to the Nets for making his life difficult, but also I thought, you know, they just didn't play that hard. And credit to the Nets for just outplaying them, you know, playing with that effort, playing with that energy, and they gave themselves a, a big enough cushion that the talent didn't really matter when it came to the fourth quarter. Absolutely. You know, there were times where it's just like, all right, Joel Embiid, you know, he's being in MVP talk. Everyone's just like, he's the MVP of the league right now. The difference with MVPs is they do it game after game after game. Giannis Antetokounmpo, LeBron James, James Harden, these dudes do it in a rainy night in Stoke, as the saying goes for all English listeners of this podcast right now. It's it's simple as that. And Joel Embiid, whether he doesn't have the conditioning or he doesn't have the right mentality, you ain't in that conversation until you're doing it on back-to-back, until you're doing it game after game. And maybe it's on Doc Rivers to maybe he should have rested in this game, but yeah. it would have given the, the Nets even a bigger shot uh, at, at sort of upsetting the Sixers. And it was a massive upset tonight, Nick. It's two upset wins in a row, and Obviously, you know, the, the Hornets win would have been nice and the, the Wizards and the Hawks win would have been nice. But but the the habits and the behavior and the on-court execution, the chemistry, all these things are benefiting the Nets right now without KD and Kyrie, like we sort of alluded to in previous pods. And, you know, we heard about KD's news that he might be back on Sunday. We can chat a little bit about that later. But I want to... Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll see personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and e-learning courses full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part? It's only $15, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle's an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance in the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Continue focusing on this game. And Nick, that first half, you know, was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we get into like the third quarter? Any players uh, that you think you, you wanted to shine some light on? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Joe Harris and the run he had to start the second quarter. I thought that was huge for the game. He had the Nets' first 10 points of the second quarter when no one was getting it going, and he was hitting tough shots, and I thought that was crucial. And that's kind of just an example of how Joe can be utilized in that second unit and really provide the Nets with a crazy spark. Like, he's a really good offensive player, and you're having the luxury of bringing him off the bench, and most likely with Karis Avert. And I just I just love the Karis Avert, Joe Harris, and Jared Allen minutes. You can just sense some of the synergy out there. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a part of me that, like, I was like, after the game, I'll, like, I'll write in my notes. I want to look up the two-man lineup with Karis yep. Avert and Joe Harris. But now you've sort of sparked me, oh, maybe about the three-man lineup with Karis, Jarrett, and Joe. I imagine the numbers would be pretty damn good with the way that the, those three have been playing lately. Joe Harris is, is a stud, and Steve yep. Nash alluded to it as well. Um, there was a, a quote that... Uh, he provided to Matt Brooks and Alex Schiffer. Joe's a stud. He's an NBA starter. We're, he's an NBA starter. We're just toying with different lineups. Yep. I don't mind the toying, Nick, especially when it leads to, to games like this from Joe. He knows he's going to cook on the likes of... Let me look at this, this box score and look at some of these names Nick, that I don't even know how to actually say. Poirier? I'm normally good at these like European names. Matthias? 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 And I, Matisse Thibel, uh, like his contest on Joe and Joe still made threes on him, bro. That is incredible. I know he caught him once, I think, in the did. first half with a block. But Joe reacted and adjusted his game a little bit and realized, like, hey, this guy's got some crazy length. Matisse Thibel is an excellent defender. Yeah, incredible defender. One of the best on-ball defenders in the league, especially on the perimeter. And Joe wasn't just impacting from the perimeter. We know that. You don't just get... You know, he's not Duncan Robinson, all right? Let, let's put that... For any Miami Heat fans deciding to listen to the podcast for the first time, I'm sorry, but that Sheen Jimmy Neutron ass looking... Uh, he ain't Joe Harris. I'm sorry, guys. And uh, Nick, you're going to have to get that beat button again, man. I'm not sure what the timing is or right now. Four assists, though. Four assists, too, for Joe. You know, like you said, Jack, he's impacting the game. He's running the sets a little bit more. The only thing I'd say, I wish he wouldn't hesitate so much on his mid-range shot because I think that's a shot he can knock down. And I can usually tell when he's hesitating because he misses. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you can tell. And I think that's a shot he's going to continue to get more comfortable with, especially when teams really, really try to press him off that three-point line if he's making contested looks like he did tonight. 
Um, and for the record, this was his box score. 28 points, 11 and 9, 10 from the field. 6 of 9 from 3. Did have 6 boards, including 2 offensive boards, 4 dimes, as Nick was alluding to. Had a little bit of a cheeky steal as well, cheeky steal as well there. Uh, a, a truly Best incredible... Best game of his career? Um, I'm still I'm still infatuated with the Chicago Bulls performance where we had the 8 dimes. I yeah. just love playmaking, Joe. But this was certainly up there, and this was... I expect that we might see games... This isn't going to just be a flash in the pan. You know, Joe Harris last season, as I said, I'm going to bring it up every pod for in case there's some new listeners joining us today, that the Team USA experience for Joe Harris yep. recognized and solidified that he belonged. He is not just a good NBA basketballer, he is an elite NBA basketballer. And obviously, he ain't a superstar, he ain't Katie or Kyrie, but he, any player that can score 20 or more points in an NBA basketball game against one of the best teams in the league, one of the form teams in the league, you've got to be pretty damn bloody good. He has an elite skill. And and he's got more than one elite skill. He's driving. I would say that skill is the the most elite. You know what I mean? And then he's playing off of the other ones. But that's all you need. You need that one thing that teams can't stop, and then you base the rest of your game off it. It's not like he's the most elite athlete, but the room and the leverage that he gets from the off-ball movement is just incredible. He just is a he's a very smart player. You know what I mean? And he's only getting smarter playing with Katie and Kyrie because well, I remember one of his training camp coach was like, this is the smartest team I've ever been on or something along those lines. So it just kind of gives you kind of confidence, like you said, Jack. In my opinion, it might be his best game ever because of the contested looks he made and the yeah. attention he was still getting. Like there was points where he was the Nets' best offensive player on the floor and Philly did not stop him. You know what I mean? And in the past in that Chicago game, like you said, the eight assists was great, but that Bulls defense in that game was probably mediocre at best. Like, this is a good defense against good defenders. And he said, I got you. New Joe, yeah. who this? Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Look, I, I, and look, he looked absolutely masterful with the headband and the blue tie-dye jersey on. Uh, ugh, sorry. Uh, but in saying that, I can what I can say, Nick, and, and agree with is that this was the best three-point shooting night of his career. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, in terms of the the difficulty of the makes he had tonight, he probably never rep- did this in his career. It was probably over a two- or three-game stretch. Yeah, and look, it, it could have just been from game one where we, we saw the, the KD line and uh, shoot it, shoot it, yeah. Joe! And ever since then, it's just like, when you hear one of the best players in the history of the game to tell you to shoot it, you better goddamn shoot the ball. That's what you're out there to do. Joe Harris is one of the best shooters in the league, and you just got to let it, let it fly, my dude. And he's an absolute flamethrower. I can't wait to like di- deep dive onto his game for National Public because it's going to be a fun one. And also, look at his numbers for the season because it seems to me, I'll have a look at his b-ball ref when you have a, a bit of a chat, Nick, but this start of the season, we see you know ups and downs from Joe and nights where he goes like, like one of six or whatever. But at this point in time, I can't remember a night where he was less than 40%. Yeah, I think this is his best start. Like you said, he's fluctuated in the past. I would check NBA.com because they usually update on the night stats. B-ball won't have it yet. But um, like you said, Jack, it's just it's just great to see his growth. Like this is the player that we talked about in the last show. Signed to the Nets, was on a training camp dealer, a non-guaranteed contract, and a guy that they weren't sure who he was going to be. And then he turns into this player that's going to have such a huge impact. And, I mean, the dynamic, if he continues to add this contested three makes onto his you know, repertoire, it's just going to make the Nets offense undefendable. Like, we already have Kyrie and KD, and now you're adding a guy that can be running across the floor. And also credit to the other Nets because they've set some really good screens. And that's something that Jeff Green does that provides another aspect for the offense. Not only is the center setting good screens, but now you have another forward and Jeff Green setting screens. You see Torian Prince getting in the action. I saw some of the guards setting screens tonight. So just the aspect and understanding from the entire team and what we need to do to produce points was nice tonight. They know what when you have to make up for, you know, you lose the offensive, uh, offensive mastery of Kyrie Irving yep. and Kevin Durant that can just create by themselves. You know, I don't need to set an off-ball screen for these guys. I might set a screen in the pick and roll for them. But, you know, and uh, what I also did like tonight as well, Nick, I, I like that they were attacking switches. Yes. You know, Harris was trying to get like Shake Milton on him or some of these rookies and young dudes and get um, Thibel and, and Ben Simmons off him. And they were attacking that and they were getting to, and they were getting to the line. Before we do move on to Carrots and some other players, Nick, guess what you think Joe Harris's percentage has been this season? So I'll go, well, this game he shot 60-something from the field. So let's go with 54% from the field, 57% from three, and his free throw probably is at like high 70s or low 80s. 
Oh, his free throws are actually really pretty bad. It's at 50%. Um, what the f- Come yeah, on, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he missed two tonight. That probably isn't great. And he hasn't got to the line a lot. But funnily enough, he is. Uh, when I heard you say the 54, I'm like, oh, is he going to say Because he, he's 53.7% from three on six attempts per game. And he's on uh, 52.6% from the field. Like, he's well, plus ridiculous. 50 is incredible. I mean, I, I'm assuming the 50, the three point percentage will probably drop to like high 40s, but it could stay at the 50 mark. Like, was it two seasons ago he shot 49%, right? Yep. Yep. He's the best shooter since 2017 18, since he got regular rotation minutes. And if he keeps doing what he's doing right now, then goddamn. Nick, I think the first half, Karis Avert, that's where, you know, he takes. I want to say one more thing about Joe Jack. Sorry. I know you probably want us to talk about him the rest of the show. We could. But uh, I think also, like, the fact that he doesn't have to over defend, like, he doesn't have to defend bigger guys, just makes his life easier. Like, it just allows him to use more energy on the offensive end and running off screens and even being a little bit more creative, a little bit more explosive. Like, having him have to defend guys that are 20 to 30 pounds or six inches taller than him on a regular basis or four inches or whatever it might be, it just, like, has some wear and tear on his body. So I like this role better like i said i think it allows steve nash more flexibility with it's just kind of like you have maybe an a offense and or you even have a b offense and then all of a sudden you put joe and you have an a offense like he's that good of a player where he's increasing the ceiling of the offense and it's a luxury for steve nash yeah it's not many teams have the luxury you know i've mentioned this comparison before and the comparison that comes to mind is the Atlanta Hawks, who are another elite offensive team, having Danilo Gallinari come off the bench, and hopefully he's coming back soon. And Bogdanovich, back, so. yeah. And Bogdanovich, two quality, amazing offensive players. And, you know, when Katie and Kyrie back, come back, it'll be Karis or Joe Harris. So, like, it's it's a, it's a bevy of riches. And hopefully, it when you are a starter, and Joe Harris has been a starter, not just a starter, one of the best Brooklyn Nets players over the past three seasons or so, you just have confidence. It's like, oh, I'm going to get second units. And, and, you know, I'm going up against these lesser defenders. I don't have to get, you know, handed on the perimeter by Danny Green, Matisse Thibault, or, or Ben Simmons or whatever. Just makes so, things so much easier. Um, yeah, it would certainly, it'd have to be top three in, in, in Joe Harris's games for his career. Yep. And again, best three-point shooting night of Joe Harris's career um, without a goddamn doubt. But Nick, talking to your boy, Karis, had 18 points in that first half. Him and Joe Harris really set the tone. It was like bubble deja vu. Yeah, it really was. It just felt kind of like the bubble nets out there. Like we mentioned, they had some nice synergy. We saw Karras hitting some of those shots. We saw him hitting the bubble, like you were about to allude to. Second half, not as good. Didn't have the same rhythm. I thought Philadelphia did a better job of disrupting him. In the first half, I just thought he did a great job of getting to his spots and putting Ben Simmons on his back, which is not easy to do. I, I was really impressed with some of the scoring stretches he had against Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, two of the best defenders in the entire NBA. Yeah, it was, I mean, the, despite the fact that he only made four of his 10 free throws. That was, I just, oh man. It was, and look. As soon, the, soon as he missed the two in a row, I knew that he was going to miss, he was going to have issues. Yeah, I mean, and look, for the night, you know, 22 points, 10, board, uh, 10 assists, uh, 7 rebounds, uh, had two steals as well, um, didn't hit a three. But to me, it was still a, a quite a good performance. Remember? Only one turnover, too, considered how much he was the lead ball handler and playmaker. I thought that was pretty impressive. Yeah, and look, his efficiency still needs to improve. You know, 9 of 25 from the field, that's not 40%. You know, we know he can be better than that. I, I, I get a lot of guff uh, from certain people on Twitter about it. But, you know, Karis Avert still set the tone tonight. And despite his inefficiencies from the field, he was taking the right shots and he was... He set the tone for the rest of the Brooklyn Nets because if Karis Avert wasn't going to be driving and going like crazy, maybe Torian Prince wouldn't have been doing that. Maybe yeah. Bruce Brown wouldn't have been doing that. Maybe Jeff Green wouldn't have been doing that. Joe Harris, Landry Shamit, these sort of dudes. As the leader and best player on this Brooklyn Nets team right now, he has to continue showing that purpose and, and aggression at getting to the rim. And if he can do it against the likes of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, like you mentioned, Nick, he can do it against Jonas Valanciunas. He can do it against Thomas Bryant. He can do it against Clint Capella. He can do it against anyone. Um, and despite the fact that the box score looks good and some of it looks bad, I think looking beyond that and his impact and leadership, I thought was truly great. Yeah, plus 23. It just felt like he was setting the tone out there, like you said, Jack, from the get-go. And then, like, the fact he was doing against Ben Simmons and Matisse Thypol, two of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA, I thought that just kind of helped set the tone. Like, yo, Karras is out here balling against some great defense. We can do our part here, too. And I think also just some of the offensive movement kind of helped him. Like I said, in the second half, I thought Philly did a little bit better job, and he started setting a little bit. But like you also said, Jack, if he's going to attack Joel Embiid's chest, you should feel confident attacking every chest in the NBA. 
you're not going to meet many bigger bodies at the rim than Joel Embiid. And Karras felt pretty confident attacking him. So it is sometimes confusing why he doesn't do it more. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just a mentality. You know, I wrote down certain sort of plays from Karras that were like a drive at 24 and 15 when the Nets needed a bucket at 47 and 40. You know, there were just some of them were missed, and then sometimes Jared Allen would clean them up as yep. well. I just thought that if he and continues. That's what we talked about yesterday. Sometimes just driving to the rim and missing is okay because you have Jared Allen and even DeAndre Jordan sometimes. Yeah, I mean, Jared Allen is, I, I say he's the best rebounder in the league. I think he's at least the best offensive rebounder in the league right now. He's hitting everything, like literally everything, no matter what. And because he knows, like you mentioned, Nick, he's that quick, he can get back and do it. And just like, you know what? Ah, Jill and Bede's a, a slow-ass Timberland mother trucker. I want to get back in, in transition anyway. He's not going to beat me to the spot. And there was might have been like one time where he got deep positioning and, and Jared Allen wasn't there to meet him. So, yeah, I think that... You know, Karras, if he continues to show this purpose and, and aggression and in terms of his shot selection as well, don't mind because it seems to me whenever he is attacking, the mid-range starts to fall as well. And look, hopefully there, there comes a game where we see like, you know, a 60% from the field, including a couple of threes and eight of 10 from the line. That's the ultimate Karras performance. But at the end of the day, it's the W. So that's the one that, that's the real stat that really matters. Yeah, 100%, Jack. I think like, it's funny is that he's a, a player capable of having a bad stat line and still having a good game because of the aggression at times. And like you said, some of the shots like he's missed and uh, hopefully he's going to start hitting them throughout the season. Like, oh, a five from three. I thought you no know, one or two of those probably goes down on a typical night, but sometimes you're just not going to hit them. But who are we talking about next? Um, who we got in the box score? Let's go with let's let's go with the, the bench collective, Nick. You know, Chris Joe's is 16 minutes. DeAndre Jordan, 18 minutes. We talked about Joe. TLC, 26 minutes. Landry Shaman, 19 minutes. Who do you think, other than Joe Harris, was the most steady bench performer? TLC. I really liked what he did out there. I thought he provided that feistiness. Maybe it wasn't steady, but he provided that energy and spark the team needed. Like, just some of those little chippy plays and just kind of matching the annoyance obviously we were happy to see him throw the ball at Dwight Howard but you don't necessarily want to get a tech in that situation but even some of his off-ball movement he didn't hit all of his threes but we know some nights he'll go six or seven some nights he'll go two or seven some nights he'll go a ten it's just kind of all over the place but you like what he's doing on the floor and I like his fit probably better with the second unit than the starters because he doesn't necessarily have to be the elite defender he just has to be pretty good and usually that cuts it against second units yeah, he, and he's a pretty good defender. You know, yeah. that's all. And look, Bruce Brand just fits better. Torian Prince, Jeff Green, these dudes sort of fit, fits, fit better as starters, even alongside Kyrie and KD. So yeah, yep. well, the TLC was quite heady. Nine points for him, four boards. Did have three steals as well. Had an assist and a block. Uh, I and you mentioned the one steal before, Jack, the dig down on Joel Embiid. Yep. I think it was in the second half. That was just a great play. And that's the type of stuff you need that really disrupts a post player. Yeah, I thought that his third quarter especially was really sort of, you know, set the tone on both ends of the floor. Yeah. You know, he was just making plays on the offensive end and making plays on the defensive end. I just thought that, you know, he was incredibly important. Landry Shamit wasn't great, Nick, but we saw him grow a little bit of confidence later in the game and did hit two threes. Yeah, we saw some confidence, like you said, Jack, later in the game. I was kind of upset with some of his defense in this game. You know, I thought he just had some bad possessions out there, getting caught on screens or just going under and them hitting threes or just giving up open shots, even if the player didn't necessarily make it. I didn't think he, he played a great game. I kind of felt like when he missed his first two shots, he was just like, kind of out of it like he was just kind of out of sync in his head a little bit obviously Philadelphia being his former team but it was nice to see him hit two threes in this game and maybe the confidence will get going moving forward yeah absolutely you know two or four from there you know 50 percent that's always going to be a positive and you know obviously sometimes you just need to see the ball go in the basket yep. and, and the confidence continues to rise Chris Josenik I thought that he, I have such to, a hot and cold relationship with Chris Chioza. Yeah, I mean, look, you look at the, the box score, eight points of three of nine shooting. He did get to the line a couple of times. Did have six assists, three boards, had a steal and a block. Don't know how Chris Chioza had a block. I'm going to have to look uh, through the game film to find that for a dude that's like 5'10", getting a block on some of the truly large men in Philadelphia. Um, but I did think that for, I thought that 16 minutes was the right number, and I don't think he was stretched too much. So I think that that comes down to Steve Nash being able to realize how much of an impact he can make. You know, you look, 16 minutes for Chris Joseph, 32 minutes for Karis Avert equals 48. 
Yeah. Uh, I think like personally, I would rather play Tyler Johnson. That's just my feel. Like, I just think there's just so much, so many weaknesses with Chris Gioza. Minus 10 tonight, worst on the team. Obviously, see what, say what you want about plus minus. But I think it's just so tough because when you're playing against a team like Philadelphia, like you said, a lot of large humans, even some of their guards are pretty big, and it's harder to hide a Christioza, hard for him to make shots. And I feel like for him to make shots, it has to be a high degree of difficulty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he can't take easy shots because they get blocked. Like, he tried to drive on the rim on Joel Embiid, and I was just like, man, what were you expecting? He swatted your stuff. But, like, you love the playmaking, but it's just hard to keep him out there because I felt like Tyrese Maxey just worked him a couple times. Shake Milton got him, like— He's just so undersized that it's hard to keep him on the floor. And, like, I know a lot of Nets fans love him. I still have my questions of if, he, if he's an NBA player. Like, he, he has some really good skills, but he has such big weaknesses that it's hard to give him consistent minutes. Yeah, look, he's an NBA player in spurts. And yeah. I think we saw that. And, you know, I think that his negatives outweighed his positive tonight. But I still also thought that, you know, in 10 to 18 minutes, I think that that is a range where I think yeah. Chris Gioza can still make an impact, especially with his playmaking and shot creation for others. But um, In the spark. He- yeah, a spark, a spark. And, and you know, you you don't want a spark to turn into a flame and it turns yeah. into a flame after sort of 20 minutes or so. So, <laughs> Nico, we'll get to some news around Kyrie Irving in a little bit. I'm sounding like, you know, we're on first take, but I did want to touch on DeAndre Jordan just to provide a little bit more flow and touch on all the bench guys. Yep. Um, DeAndre's going to DeAndre. He's going to do his thing. DJ going to DJ. Um, we can probably put it that way. But it, there were some points where it's just like, oh, all right, yeah, that's fine, DeAndre. Yeah, I mean, he had 11 rebounds, four assists, two blocks, two turnovers, two points. Um, I mean, it's not like he set the bar pretty low this season. We're not going to lie about it. We're not going to beat around the bush. Like he's been playing in Tim's. He's looked really slow. He didn't look extremely fast tonight, but I thought he did a better job at his positioning. And he was average, maybe, maybe slightly below average, whatever. It was good enough for the Nets to win. It was good enough to get Jared Allen some, some rest for tomorrow's game and not have to overplay him. And it also was a nice advantage to be able to put DeAndre out there and let him deal with Dwight's bullshit so that Jared Allen didn't have to. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that, you know, there was a, I mean, I know you got a little bit annoyed with DeAndre sort of having a little bit of a giggle. With, as soon as with he Dwight. got in the game, he started laughing yeah. with Dwight Howard. And like, to me, I get it. You're friends and you know, that's not always going to happen, but at least say something to him. Like, bro, what are you doing to my man? Like that's still like Jared Allen is still his teammate and they are supposed to have a somewhat of a close relationship or have some type of relationship. And he doesn't even, you know, like he just comes in and starts smiling with him. I don't know. It just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, and look, that's what he's known for on the team in terms of providing the energy, the positivity pre-game, and he's just that sort of glue in the locker room as a sort of a vibes dude. You know, the, yep. the Nets need the vibes and the positive vibes, and you know he's got great handshakes and he's always bumping around, riding piggybacks or whatever. But once it comes to game time, man, turn your game face on. You know, Jared Allen's doing it this year. You know, he's not necessarily um, being smart and smiling with these sort of dudes. And, and look, at the end of the day, this was... Maybe DeAndre Jordan's best game of the season. I don't know. Was it? Yeah, I think so. Probably. You know, it's it's not like he did anything amazing, but he's just been bad in most of the other games. Maybe there was a a decent performance somewhere squeezing that we're forgetting, but in recent memory of the last few games, he hasn't been very good. Yeah, I mean, it's like a, a four and a half out of 10 compared to like a negative two. <laughs> like, it, it's it's as simple as that. But Nick, we had Jason Dumas uh, on Twitter um, saying that Kyrie set out tonight's game because of what transpired on Wednesday in Washington, D.C. A lot of people thought that. A lot of people are blowing up dimensions saying, you know, why didn't he tell the team that? I will also say this. Carol Savert said that Kyrie Irving said he texted the team before the game, said it was a personal issue for Irving and left it at that. He also did the same with Steve Nash. Some people, you don't have to tell everyone what's going on. If it's a personal issue and you don't want to disclose it, other people have obviously found out through their different sources. Uh, scoop B, you know. Um, scoop do bullshit. Do? <laughs> scoop bullshit, yeah, that's a good one, mate. But, yeah, I can totally understand after the dramatic and unruly nature of what happened on Wednesday, it was chaotic to say the least. And if a person needs to take some time to reset themselves, reset their mental health, as Kyrie Irving did, and he doesn't feel the need or doesn't want to communicate it with, with, with his teammates in terms of exactly what's going on, but he still told his team, okay? For those that are starting to give Kyrie Irving the shit like you are, like on Twitter or, or whatever other social media, he is a great teammate. He is still communicating with them. He's telling them what's going on. He's not, you know, above the team in terms of, you know, he gets to do whatever the hell he wants or he should be playing. He's got a contract. Come on, guys. Let's just 
These we are Why human. Don't be a human. It's okay. Let him yeah. be a goddamn human. Um, apparently, he won't make the trip as well to travel to Memphis tonight. Uh, according to the Athletic, just got a bit of a Bleacher Report notification as well, uh, Nick. So look, take the time you need, Kyrie Irving, uh, from a person who's experienced mental health issues as well. You know, be it external, or internal factors. Sometimes you just need some time to reset. Be with your family, be with yourself, get your get your, your mind and, and your body right, and then we'll attack the rest of the season. You know, we've still got 60, 65 games to go, my guy. Do what you got to do. Yeah, and I mean, I, I kind of I'm gonna look at it from the positive side, like I do with KD. It's kind of good that he's taking two games off, you know, getting some rest for that body. We know we've talked about a lot in the past of him having injury issues and not being able to play throughout the whole season, coming off such a short rest and being there. I think it could end up being a benefit like KD. You know, they, they came back and they play at such a high level like they didn't take any time off. So it's probably decent for their body to rest for a day or two or rest for a couple games. Yeah, look, we've heard about these sort of back-to-backs and such and, and everything that's sort of going on there. There's nothing wrong with, you know, th- this could benefit the the Nets in the long run. It, it could be a blessing in disguise, as you sort of alluded to. So, look. And I like the way they're playing right now. They're learning to win in other ways and not depending on Kyrie and KD to just have miracle buckets. You know what I mean? They're just, they're running offense. They're playing defense. They're getting active in transition. They're rebounding the basketball. They're learning some things about themselves and they're building up some confidence and guys are getting into rhythm. Yeah, look, I'm trying to find the the exact source for Kyrie when travel with the Nets, but I'm getting it via Bleacher Report um, from the Athletic. So if it doesn't end up being the case, um, then I do apologize. Blame the Athletic. Yeah, don't blame OTG Basketball or Blue Wire. Um, <laughs> but in saying that, Nick, you know, there's things that are bigger than basketball. We had uh, a discussion about that in the last podcast. We don't need to dive deep anymore. But do we want to touch on some quotes? Or do you want to touch on some stats, Nick? Because I think that there are some key stats, you know, then the, in, in terms of like the, the focus, what, what's been for the team in terms of turnovers, non-turnovers, forcing turnovers, rebounds. Do we want to touch on a few of those things and things that stick out to you? Yeah, sure. Are you talking about tonight's game or just in general? Tonight's game, Nick, because there is a couple that stick out for me, and you could sort of respond, and I'll go through a couple of them. 11 offensive boards to four for the Brooklyn Nets. 30 assists on 44 made field goals. Forcing 20 turnovers and scoring 35 points off those turnovers. For me, those are the ones that really stick out. Yeah, I, I love forcing turnovers. I love transition basketball. Obviously, most Nets fans growing up around my age got to see Jason Kidd and what he did in transition with Richard Jefferson, Kenyon Martin. So I'm always going to have a, a place for fast break basketball and just playing that type of defense, disrupting things, forcing turnovers is great. And obviously, like you said, Jack, winning the battle on the boards and not getting killed with second chance points. You know, tonight the Nets won the second chance points 10 to 3. Like, what were you talking about about the Hawks game not too long ago when the Nets were losing that by, like, 15 points? So it's been some really good stuff for Brooklyn tonight and trying to learn some of those habits that we talked about. And like you brought up in the past, Jack, that Jeff Green quote, that's something that kind of sticks out and trying to learn these things and play defense and rebound. And the other stuff will all just come on its own. Yeah, we've heard time and time again about the focuses for the Brooklyn Nets in terms of offensively limiting their turnovers. They themselves had 13, which is a number that I'm fine with because yeah. if you're getting 30 assists on it and you're only having 13 turnovers, that's fine with me because yeah. the ball was moving, the ball was fizzing. There was some really great team basketball that we saw tonight. And again, yeah, points off turnovers, you know, really punishing the Philadelphia 76ers for making those mistakes. So, look, I'm all about it, and, and I'm really happy with it. Also, the points in the paint is good. And, you know, I think that if Jared Allen is allowed to just do his thing and get 30 minutes, the Nets are probably going to be beating teams in offensive boards a lot of the time because he is he is great there. He's athletic. He is aggressive. And as you mentioned to uh, in previous games, Amari has taught him a couple of things here and there about the angles and such. So I'm really looking forward to this Memphis performance, Nick, uh, in general. But... Got some quotes as well if we want to get to them. Yeah, let's jump in. So, okay. Joe Harris said Steve Nash told him on Monday he would be coming off the bench. Says he has no problem with it. Said the team has played well with him off the bench. Uh, adds that Nash made the right decision. He's, and we sort of alluded to, you can look at this from two respects. Joe Harris wanting to be coached and just going with it. And you can also look at it from Steve Nash's perspective and going, you know what, let's change some things here. And like he said, toying with lineups. And this it, it, it takes a little bit of bravery to take out probably your third best starter. You know, if you're looking at Kyrie, um, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, uh, and Joe Harris, at the start of the season, DeAndre Jordan was starting. But our third best starter, other than that, is easily Joe Harris because, you know, the, you, you put in a Toyin Prince or, or a Jeff Green or whoever else. So I just think that it takes some guts to do that. And it also takes, you know, some real, 
you know, coachability from Joe Harris, whether that's a word, like stick to it. No, uh, like stick to itiveness is for Iron Eagle. Um, whether Joe Harris is looking like uh, one of the dudes from, oh, what's the dodgeball team again? I put it out on Twitter. But yeah, average I just, Joe's. average Joe's. He ain't an average Joe if he's playing like this, Nick. Yeah, I felt like he looked more like Ben Stiller's character in Dodgeball than the average Joe's guy. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> I can't Fucking record the rest of the show. I got to go. Um, but um, like you said, Jack, I think, you know, it's some real creativity from Steve Nash. You know, we thought one of his his advantages of being a coach is the experiences he's had as a player and dealing with different guys, one through 15. And I thought that was an example tonight and, and an example on Tuesday, just willingness to do this. And like I said, I think it's best utilization of the players on your roster. Like, if Joe Harris, Kier Savert, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and Jared Allen are on the starting lineup, it's going to be tough for them to all get the the level of shots. And then your second unit is going to be hurting because of the Spencer Dinwiddie injury. So now it makes sense. You're staggering these guys, and you can still find minutes to play them. Like we said, we'll likely see it at the end of the second half. We'll probably see it at the end of the games too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and to confirm my source from Jack B. Manuel, uh, it's Joe Varden of The Athletic, the, the person who I alluded to earlier, who said that um, they were the person. And Malika who Andrews also reported the same thing, so. There we go. And those are two incredibly valid sources when it comes to any level of NBA news. Uh, both of them do uh, fantastic work uh, surrounding the Brooklyn Nets and other teams. So uh, there aren't many other quotes, Nick. You know, and, and look, Matt and uh, Alex and, and Brian have been doing their work, but not a lot of sort of going on there. But... In terms of Kevin Durant, we heard that he could be back on Sunday, Nick. When you heard that news, uh, how did it make you feel? I smiled. <laughs> Pretty simple stuff here. Obviously, it's been a pleasure to watch Kevin Durant play in the NBA. It's been an even bigger pleasure to watch him play for the Brooklyn Nets at the level in which he's been playing. I'll be super happy to see him back and also see him in this possibly new starting lineup that's going to be out there Sunday. And obviously, OKC being a former team that he played on, that's kind of cool too. Yeah, and, and it's going to be... You know, they've got to get through the Grizzlies first, and I think if they play the way that they did tonight, it goes a long way to winning as long as they stay defensively sound. You know, the Grizzlies, I'm not sure what happened with their game against the Cavs, Nick. Um, maybe you can have a little bit of a look at that for me. But if they can maintain their defensive intensity, they can maintain the focus on the boards, the ball movement, executing on both ends of the floor and letting their defense feed their offense, you know, forcing turnovers on the other team. You know, the Grizzlies without Ja Morant are, are relying heavily on the likes of Jonas Valanciunas, Brandon Clark, Dylan Brooks, these sort of guys. You can get up in their faces, get up in their grills, make it uncomfortable for them, yep. like you did with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. So, yeah, hopefully if they maintain the same principles and same execution they did tonight, then it's going to go a long way to getting uh, their third straight win. Yeah, they lost to Cleveland tonight 94-90, so the Nets should be able to beat this. And Cleveland... Didn't have half of their team, right? They were missing all their yeah. guards tonight. No yeah. Darius Garland, no Colin Sexton. So they they still had uh, Jetty Osmond out there. Obviously, no Kevin Porter, too. So it's just like it was a tough, tough game for the Cavs, and they still beat Memphis. It'll be interesting to see how Memphis responds tomorrow. I will say this early in the season. Obviously, the Nets have already played a back-to-back. -back. I'm a little concerned with some of the travel, just you know, going there tonight. If if they were if they played in Philadelphia and then they're playing in Brooklyn tomorrow, I'd feel a lot better. But given they have to travel tonight, it does give me a little concern, especially with some of the bench players and some of the other guys getting maybe more minutes than they're used to. But again, we thought Steve Nash did a pretty solid job in managing those minutes. Yeah, look, if uh, I know Kirk Goldsbury in the past has, has dived deep and, and other people have dived deep into the schedule and, 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 and the back-to-backs and, and are they like those the, just the guaranteed losses on, on the roster. You know, every game is, is, is there for the taking. I'm a little less confident of this because, you know, it's a little bit, a bit of an insight into my mentality. I always look at the team that the Nets are going up against next and I hope that they have a good win, which is why yesterday when the Sixers, you know, beat the, uh, the Washington Wizards, uh, my dude JBT Nick, um, I was happy about it because I'm like, okay, they're going to, they'll be a little bit, you know, their mentality could be a little bit down. Whereas the Grizzlies are going to be like, right, we've got to bounce back. We're at home now. And they've obviously got the wood over us already. They did get the win over us earlier, but there's no excuse, Nick. You know, at the end of the day, every game is there for the taking. And if the Nets do win, um, and you take into account that it is a back-to-back -back and you do have your, some of your best superstars out, Kyrie Irving isn't traveling either, then that, that's going to go down as maybe an even bigger win than the Sixers and the Utah Jazz one. And the Nets are certainly in with a shot. Yeah, I mean, I want to see some adjustments from the Nets because there were just some basic concepts that they were getting killed on in that game. You know, be it Tyus Jones pick and roll with Jonas Valanciunas or just some of the cuts off ball or not being able to defend Kyle Anderson or Brandon Clark eating on the boards. Like, hey, that stuff we already saw this team 
Let's see what you got, Steve Nash. Obviously, you don't have a ton of time to do game planning or anything. I'm sure there'll be a shoot around in the morning to key in a few couple things. But I'm intrigued to see how Nash and the team respond. And hopefully, like you said, they can continue this winning momentum. That's what it's about, Nick. The the Nets, uh, there were a lot of worries about the, in general, in terms of what's going on and, and like, oh, where's the defense and such. And we've sort of seen those principles now. And I don't think anyone's going to really care because KD and Kyrie aren't playing. So it's not going to be on first take. Oh, the Nets are playing defense now. No one's yeah. going to give a shit about it. The Nets are rebounding the ball now. No one's going to care about that. It's not going to be on a, a national podcast. But, you know, you're going to hear the, the real truth on the Brooklyn Buzz and um, as well. Again, we, we chatted a little bit on the last podcast, and then we saw a freaking riot and coup from not just white privilege, but from white supremacists. And um, from what the, uh, not just players in the NBA, including like Brooklyn Nets players, Kyrie Irving and, and everyone else, but the likes of Jalen Brown, Malcolm Brogdon, Doc Rivers in his comments yesterday. You know, for the fact that basketball, and look, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Detroit Pistons, what they did showing their unity, I believe the Lakers and the Spurs, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, linked arms uh, yep. as the anthem was going the Boston Celtics. And then the Heat, and, yep. So I just thought that wonderful, the, the NBA and the NBA players and the NBA leadership continues to be better than a lot of the political leadership currently uh, in your country, Nick. And um, Jalen Brown, Malcolm Brogdon certainly stick out to me and um, they're in good hands. And they're hands. just real role models for kids growing up. Like these are like awesome people. Like they're not just great basketball players and just being good people. Like they're going to that next level and really trying to change the world and change the United States and just do all this great stuff when all these terrible things are happening. They could easily not say anything and just play the game of basketball and collect their money, but they're not. They're going out there and they're making change. They're making an impact. And obviously what we saw yesterday was disgusting, terrible, and it's been an ongoing trend over this last year of just the disgusting things we've seen in the United States. And hopefully moving forward with some changes, there can be some progress. But, you know, you lose a little hope every day. Yeah, and hopefully, again, you know, we're a podcast that talks about basketball. We'll occasionally touch on these things where we think we can provide some level of insight and, and shout out the people who deserve the shout outs. And yep. for me, Jalen Brown is just incredible, Nick. You know, I, I, I we say we hate the Boston Celtics and these sort of things, but. It should be a net. I know. <laughs> How cool is he, man? I'd, be, I'd have all the. I'd have all of Jalen Brown's merch if um, he was a Brooklyn Net, but yeah, he's continued to do great things for the Boston Celtics and, and the NBA at large. And also massive shout-out to the WNBA in terms yep. of what they've been doing. They've led the helm even before the, the NBA, and Kyrie Irving obviously has seen the validity in their efforts beyond that. Um, likes of Maya Moore, Candace Parker, and, and everyone else within the WNBA organization. The basketballing helm, the basketballing elite um, is doing so much for society at large that it's inspiring. And, you know, we are, it's almost a pleasure to be given a platform to even just shine the light on them because they yeah. deserve it um, on in tenfold. We could speak about 55, 100 minutes. We could do podcast series about how good the NBA, the WNBA, the players, the leadership that has been shown from the likes of everyone there. So shout out to them. And um, I think that the, the the political nation, the political landscape could learn a thing or two from these basketballing elite heroes and role models. Yeah, 100%. And they're just doing such a great job in trying to shape the youth because that's, that's what who looks up to these guys. You know, kids across the world are looking up to Jalen Brown, Malcolm Brogdon, and, and these other stars, and even what LeBron James has done. Like, they're they're just having such an impact. And like you said, Jack, it's a pleasure to cover them and be able to watch not only, you know, great athletes on the floor, but great people. Yeah, look, I I think that that's probably the, you summed it up perfectly there, Nick. You know, we we discussed, you know, Kyrie Irving's you know, philanthropic efforts off the court. And because, you know, as much as it is awesome to see a Kyrie crossover or a, or a KD dunk, seeing the, the true impact on, on, on society at large, that's where the legacy is left. And despite the fact that a lot of people think that a legacy is just what you do as your job and what you are known for, but as human beings, we are more than like, you know, to be stupid about it. We're more than just podcasters. We're more yeah. than just teachers. We're more than, we are human beings overall and we want to help our fellow man. And when there is a true disservice happening and, and, and true atrocities happening as they have been for many and many a year and they were highlighted and, and put in, Put them, put on blast. You know, you and for everyone that hasn't seen the photos, you can literally see the disparity of what's happening in the Black Lives Matter protests compared to when just a couple of white dudes in MAGA hats rock up to Capitol Hill and they get photos and they're taking and they're it's it's horrific, disgusting, and 
I'm, I'm full shout out to Kyrie Irving for taking the time that he needs uh, and anyone else who's choosing to do the same and um, anyone beyond that as well that is it, it's horrific um, and everything that is continuing to happen hopefully there's a part of me that's just an optimist by nature sometimes you have to get to your lowest point to get to the height to reach your full pinnacle uh, and hopefully that is what's going to happen in your awesome country Nick and um, again it, 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 just shout out to the NBA uh, organization WNBA players leadership coaches everything they're continuing to do uh, an absolutely immense and tremendous job uh, in furthering social issues social injustices uh, that have been uh, a cause uh, a cause and an, and an issue and a symptom since the inception of all you know western society basically yeah. it really has and like you said jack these these guys these men these women everybody part of the nba has done such an excellent job and essentially kind of they almost lead the way for the country and what should be done it's it's so sad that it takes a national basketball association to do this instead of just the politics but you know we'll leave it at that Always a pleasure talking to you, Jack. Big thanks to everybody listening, and obviously you can find us on all streaming platforms. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.